Welcome to another edition of Lawyer Zen Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Barnes. I'm also a practicing attorney in Tampa, Florida, and an uh, owner of Legal Flow Consulting. Today we're going to be talking with Carrie Heaps. Um, I had a conversation with Carrie because I saw her CLE on body language, and uh, most specifically for jury selection. But I had just gotten done with a presentation with my dad in which we talked about how little amount of your communication to your clients comes through words. And so we talked about, with you know, in that we talked about energy and body language and walking into a room. And so I felt compelled to reach out to Carrie and talk to her about that. And she was willing to come on the podcast, which is awesome. So we're, we talked about body language, specifically what body language should be you be looking for in your clients when, uh, when they may be... Uh, feeling kind of uh, triggered or uh, having trauma symptoms at the moment. Also, what kind of body language should we be listening to our clients to uh, show that we are open and it is a safe space for them to share um, and make their experience it with us as, as their attorney uh, as comfortable as possible. We also talked with Carrie about her other topic that she likes, which is um, colors and what emotions are elicited from colors, which I thought was really interesting. So we talked about what colors should you be, you know, having in your conference room to make it as comfortable as possible in a safe space. Uh, really interesting conversation with Carrie. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get going with Carrie Heaps on body language and color. I'm sitting here with Carrie Heaps, and I'm very excited that she's here today to talk about uh, a couple different things, um, body language and also color, um, which I'm super fascinated to hear more about. Thanks for coming, Carrie. Well, thank you for having me, Patrick. I'm so excited to be here with everybody and looking forward to sharing a couple of tips. So so tell okay. me, before we kind of get into this, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of how you got to be sitting here with me today. Sure. So um, my background, I'm a speaker and trainer by trade. Um, how I kind of fell into the CLE side of this for attorneys is kind of interesting. Um, I had a client who had me come and speak at one of the uh, fall chapters for the Florida Bar, which is the Female Attorney Association part of the bar for Florida. And she said, oh, great news. I got your uh, presentation certified for continuing legal education credit. And I worked for attorneys many years ago before I went out on my own to do what I'm doing. And I said, well, can you kind of explain that concept to me? How does that work? And she kind of walked me through, you know, continuing legal ed, how much you all have to do. And um, it just kind of took a life on its own after that, because I thought, you know, a lot of the things that I speak on for communication, for, um, you know, even the marketing side for follow up or what I like to call closing in slow motion uh, falls under professional ethics or even just the general credit. So um, that was almost two years ago. And I have, I think, four classes certified here in Florida, two right now in Texas and a few more coming down the pike. So it's worked out very well. Um, how I got started doing what I'm my training with the speaking and the training for communications and so forth started way back when, um, when I was much younger in my early 20s, I, I modeled, I was in the modeling industry, and I did a lot of commercial modeling. I'm not tall enough for runway, but I did a lot of print work and commercial work. 
And then I kind of went from that to working the flip side of the desk as I got a little, as they say, older, you know, in the industry, um, where I would book models on assignments and I would do training for them as well. So that's kind of where my um, image consulting, color, working with color and working with body language and acting skill set. That's actually where that came from was the entertainment industry. So and you fast forward, um, I think I'm going on 30 years now. Uh, back in the day when I when I modeled, so it's it's been a while, um, but I enjoy it immensely, and I find that there's so many other industries that can benefit uh, from that type of expertise. So, in addition to speaking about these things, you're also consulting as well. I do. If there's, you know, typically when I go out and I teach a CLE class, if I do it in person or even virtually, sometimes I have attorneys who will say to me, hey, I need help with and they kind of fill in the blank. And it's usually I find it's either wardrobe consulting because they're a trial attorney and they're like, I, you know, I really would like to uh, not just with the body language, but also with color, like what I'm wearing. How is that affecting um, my jury selection or is how how is that? you know, uh, affecting everybody in the trial as well. Um, or I get uh, on the flip side, it's a solopreneur who's really struggling with closing more business because I don't know how much of that they teach in law school, you know, that, you know, you got to go out and get your own clientele. Um, so I teach them a lot about follow up and building up that book of business that they can do, you know, that they feel comfortable with and is also a good strategy for them. And that can include everything from getting interviewed to speaking to just having a really good leads program on your site, you know, and doing really follow up. That's that's kind of 90 percent of it. It's follow up. So uh, I do work with attorneys one on one as well. Wow. Um, how do you it kind of. Uh just off the top of my head, how do you kind of compare working with models and working with lawyers? Are we similar? Are we similar? I would say there is some similarities. Yes. I mean, clearly out in the public, you know, you're, you're in the public eye, especially if you're doing trials, you're in front of people, or even if it's like small claims court and it's just you and there's like a couple of other people in the courtroom, it's still, it's presenting. Right. Um, so I do find, and, and I think, you know, what I am finding with a lot of attorneys is that most of them are a little bit more on the introverted side, that mm -hmm. they're not as extroverted as I thought they would be, um, which is a difference, you know, obviously in modeling those people and same thing with acting, you've got to be extroverted. You need to, you know, put yourself out there and jump in front of casting directors and say, hey, here I am. Um, so that would be one big difference. But yeah, it, it really, there is some similarities there because you really are kind of in a sense, this it, you are the business at the end of the day. Um, you know, what you bring to the table is, is what it's all about. I mean, even the people who work for a larger firm, you know, they may still have to go out and do branding and like, hey, I'm going to send you to this networking function, whether you want to go or not, you need to go and uh, represent our firm. And, you know, and not everybody's comfortable with that. I do think, I think there's a level, there's a lot of attorneys that are introverted, but we kind of are able to, to come out, come out of that. Like mm -hmm. when you're with a client or when you're in front of a jury or whatever it is um it's almost i don't want to say it's like a character but mm -hmm. it almost is like in order to to properly convey your message you have to do it in a way that is you know um i guess extroverted right mm -hmm. obviously to speak public speaking in general but yeah i mean i think there are a lot of attorneys that are like naturally introverted well i think it's off. yeah and I think it's part of the trade, Patrick, honestly, that it's it's a good attribute to have. But 
from a, I think from sometimes from a marketing standpoint, it's, you know, it's a, it's a little bit tougher to overcome, but certainly not something they can't all do. I have one of my best friends, she is an attorney, and she's very quiet natured like you, and she's a, um, a litigator. And yeah. I've seen her in action a couple of times. And I was like, who is that lady? You know? yeah. <laughs> like totally surprised, like, wow. You yeah. know, so I mean, who she was in the courtroom and, and you know, and so forth and who she is, you know, at the office or in her personal life, it's it's very different, you know, and like she told me, she said, I can turn up the heat with the best of them, sure. believe me, you know. If you're, if you're, you know, zealously advocating for a, for your client, you, you mm -hmm. can get, you know, get wound up yeah. about it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, so I, I spoke with you because I got uh, an invitation to go to one of your CLEs on body language. And I was so fascinated by it because it's one of those things. And I'm drawn to the CLEs that are more like, whoa, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's great to have your, you know, like your, your annual updates where you learn the new laws and how they apply. But I like, mm -hmm. I like the CLEs where I'm like, huh, I never really thought about putting that into practice. And I can see ways in which it absolutely can. And we'll get into those. Mm -hmm. um, but I just gotten done doing a presentation with my dad on compassion fatigue and secondary trauma, and it was a the topic of the of the um, of the lecture was representing the traumatized client, right, or a, tra mm -hmm. a client who's undergone trauma. And one of the things my dad said in it was that only a small percentage of the message you convey is with words, mm -hmm. and then so it almost seemed very like. Um, like I don't know the word, but like it, it almost was meant to be because then I got that from from you about the body language, and it was like, wow, that seems synchronistic or whatever the synchronicity. Yeah, <laughs> sounds better. Um, so so yeah, I reached out and I was like, wow, that's um, really interesting. We talked about it, so I want to I want to um, get into that. So so you have a CLE that you put on for lawyers about body language. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that you help with is, you know, the, how to talk to your client, how to how to have proper body language with opposing counsel, but also reading theirs and then also juries and stuff. So tell me like broadly, like your elevator pitch about body language as an attorney. Well, I think it's very important for every attorney, especially if you are a trial attorney and you are, you know, participating in jury selection and the actual trial and, you know, maybe you're doing, you know, mediation and arbitration prior to that or, you know, depending upon, you know, if we can fix it here, we don't have to go to trial. So I really feel that, you know, people say a lot without saying a word, just like I, I talk about, you know, the power of the pause is one thing that I talk about with your voice just inserting a pause can be more powerful than any word that can come out of your mouth, right. um, you know, if it's placed correctly. Um, so I do think in general for attorneys, it's it's invaluable. Um, you need to be able to know when your clients, if there's something, you know, and again, I'm sure every single attorney who's listening to this and probably you yourself, Patrick, that has had a client that you're like, I know there's something else going on or he's say, there's some, are you okay? Like you might be asking your client that a lot. Are everything okay? Are you clear so far? And actually there isn't, but there's little body language cues that you can kind of pick up on as well. Um, and I'm certainly happy to talk about those too, but I think it can be an invaluable skill set. I do tell people body language, it's a life learning skill. I mean, I am consistently sharpening my saw with this. I mean, I 
I pull tapes all the time, like the recent Alex Murdaugh trial. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was actually, there's a couple of things I pulled for that just on the color side, um, you know, use of color. And also too, lots of body language there too. Um, that I think people don't, you know, they, they might just dismiss it just to think, oh, it's not a big deal. But again, you know, if you're if you're presenting your case and you're seeing that there's certain things the jury's doing, you know, that they're kind of like, you know, they're leaning back in their chair and then they start to cover their mouth and they're, you know, kind of, you know, doing this and, and maybe they're crossing their arms or doing a lot of na what's construed as negative body language. And you're not adept at seeing that, you know, you want to like I tell attorneys pay when you see that pay attention to what you just asked or right. cross examining someone or what their response was. Because that's going to cue you in to where the jury thinks like, hey, is this guy really telling the truth? Or I don't know that I believe that. It can kind of give you more of an indication of, hey, maybe tomorrow I need to switch up my questions a little bit, or maybe I should rephrase something, you know, to where you kind of know where things are going. Same thing with selection, the jury selection, you know, as you're asking questions, I actually have handouts that I've done up for attorneys that, that, that I give them. And I'm like, they're real generic. It's nothing fancy. But I tell them, look, you know, when those jurors, if they're, you know, if they're numbered, if they're asked certain questions and you're seeing some negative body language there, you know, again, if they're scratching the back of their head or uh, tugging at their ears or, you know, anything that could be construed as negative uh, body language, depending upon what side of the case you're on, that person mm -hmm. may or may not make a good potential juror for, you know, for selection process. So it can also help you with like a process of elimination, you know, weeding that out. Um, so there's so many different ways. I mean, and I'm sure every single attorney, including yourself, has probably had a prospect, you know, that has maybe called you or came into the office and you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, this guy's going to come on board as a client and you never hear from them again. It, they, right. they totally ghost you. Mm -hmm. There's probably some body language cues that they gave you if they were in person and even on the phone, you know, just you can tell from their voice, you know, your voice is part of your body language, too, you know, right. And sometimes it's the only thing we have to go by. Yeah, tone. Yeah. Um, so you you were mentioning um, negative body language, like markers or things you can be looking for. Obviously, you talked about like scratching the back of your head. What what are some kind of that you can think of just right away? If you start to see that during your question, you're you're needing to pay more attention and key on, key in on that. Like, give me a couple. You know, off the off the top. Well, like, for example, I always tell everyone, you know, there's three main things with evaluating people's body language. So I want to share this first. Okay. Um, so number one is going to be the situation and the setting. Okay, so is this happening in court? Is it jury selection? Is it a new client? Because that is going to play a role in how you evaluate someone's body language. The second thing is, do you have a personal relationship of the person? Not mm -hmm. that you're friends with them or that you're colleagues, but maybe have you worked with them before? everyone has little idiosyncrasies or what I like to call ticks that we yep. do, you know, inadvertently. Like my other friend I mentioned who is an attorney, she's constantly covering her arms because she's cold natured. We're here in Florida. I mean, it could be 114 degrees outside and she's doing this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I just know when I'm trying to figure out what she's thinking, I get, when she does this, I have to eliminate that from my body language review because it's something she always does. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would say is, don't overexamine this. Body language is something that can be easily overthought. So you don't want to, if you start to overthink it, you want to use it as a tool in conjunction with your evidence, 
with what you know, and also go with your gut. Your gut is also part of your body language too. You know, you want to go with your basic gut instinct as well. So to kind of throw out some scenarios, maybe yeah. just to kind of give you an idea, let's just say you're in mediation mm -hmm. and you're at the mediator's office. Okay. So you're in what's considered an uncontrolled environment, mm -hmm. not a courtroom setting, but uncontrolled. And my definition of that is uncontrolled is, you know, um, it, well, control would be court because everybody goes through security. Everybody, if, if things go awry, if somebody blows up and starts taking a swing at somebody else, there's someone there to contain that. Right. Where if you're at a mediator's office or even your office, you don't have that. You're in an uncontrolled environment. So you really want to, in, in an uncontrolled scenario like mediation, make sure that you are watching for those signals of the body, you know, the anxiety rising in the body. So for example, if you were to ask somebody a question, um, let's just say, I don't know, it, it's something about, well, can you explain this? You know, what, what's this receipt for, for $10,000, you know, and, and you really like, that's kind of like the linchpin for you. You got to know what that's for and they don't want to answer. They're holding things back or they're like, well, I really don't recall. And, and then like you're rephrasing the question, you're providing additional documentation. You can tell that their anxiety is going up because this is something they don't want to address. So they might be sweating. They might be um, taking their hand and covering their mouth, you know, mm -hmm. which is really more of an indication that what I'm about to tell you will be a lie. <laughs> right. You know, where scratching the back of the head is more, it's frustration, it's aggravation, but it's also, I need to hold something back, you know, kind of like I'm pulling my head back right now. <laughs> I can do the same thing. So, but if it covers the mouth, more than likely it's going to be a lie. Um, so those were, would be some examples for like mediation. Like if you're cross-examining them and you have to showcase to the jury and to the judge, hey, this guy has a nasty temper. He flies off the handle. By all means, you know, you want to make his anxiety go up. You want him to explode. And it's okay if he does because, it, you know, if he reaches over to take a swing at you or whoever, um, there's someone there that can you know, detain him. Um, so I, I'm very careful to make sure people understand you want to keep yourself and everybody around you safe. So you would want to keep going with your questioning. If you're seeing like they're they're touching their face, their voice gets elevated, they're sweating more. You can see it on their upper note, their brow, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and also on their upper lip. Um, if they start to tug at their ears and scratching, you know, here underneath their nose, that's also another indication that they're lying. Um, there's a certain amount of blood flow that will go here to our ear and to our the membranes in our nostril area. Now, if you see them coming in, you know, and again, situation and setting, they're blowing their nose, they're, they're you know, they've got cold medicine and tissues that they're bringing in, then clearly they're probably right. touching the nose because it's running. So little things like that that you want to watch for. Um, and again, depending upon the situation you're in, you never want to escalate something to the point where you're at your office and somebody jumps up and they're like, I'm sick of this. And they just start yelling and then they stomp out of the room or, you know, heaven forbid, they start to, you know, take swings at people. And right. if you get somebody's anxiety to go high enough, it can happen. You know, um, people do, as they say, fly off the handle. So you want to be watchful and mindful of that and, you know, maybe switch up your line of questioning, you know, if you have to, to get them to calm down a little bit or, you know, mediation, it, take a break you know, or if you're at your office, you know, there's no, no harm in that. Let them kind of calm down a little bit and then bring them back in. So, yeah. And I think about when you said about your, your friend, that's the attorney mm -hmm. that's always cold and always has her arms crossed. Cause that's <laughs> like, 
body language 101 is like don't cross your arms in a you know uh um in a in a um set, a setting with um like a networking setting or mm-hmm. a, because it conveys that you're not open and you're not interested um mm-hmm. but i guess you know my my takeaway is like you still have to be aware of the time place setting kind of thing right and so yeah, just because their arms crossed doesn't mean oh look at that there's that sign it's like was well, it 50 degrees in the room you know or like mm-hmm. you said you know that, that person has a propensity to do that so there's no like it's not guaranteed in every scenario you do have to be mm-hmm. aware of what, what's going on around you well i do say that in my training three different times it's the very first thing out of my mouth at the beginning yeah. of the training i say i repeat it in the middle and i repeat it at the end because it's that important mm-hmm. you know your situation and your setting is and i actually have a photo that i share with people and it's this guy standing outside. It just started to snow and he's got his arms crossed and he doesn't have on a proper winter coat. And I'm like, this is why situation and setting is important because, you know, again, he's clearly, he's cold. And right. then like I tell everybody, if there's certain things that you do that you know that you like, oh gosh, I, you know, every time I sit down, that's exactly what I do. I cross my mm-hmm. legs and I cross my arms over. That's fine. Just be cognizant of it when you're around people that are new to you. Just like myself personally, what I do, I, when I sit down, I cross my left leg, goes over my right, and my left leg is flying back and forth a mile a minute. But I do that whether I am happy, sad, angry, it doesn't matter. It's just something I always do. Um, so no rhyme or reason. But but for someone who is evaluating my body language, it gives the impression that mm-hmm. I'm nervous, that I'm scared, that I'm feeling uncomfortable, uh, that my anxiety might be rising. And even though that's not the case, I I do my like when I go to speak in person, um, I have to uh, go to Miami actually next week. And, uh, you know, again, when I'm sitting down mingling with people, I know I stop myself like, hey, don't do that. You know, <laughs> is it fair to say then that maybe it's a change in the in the body language that might be more of a trigger? Like if you if you're having a hard time understanding that person. Because like you said, there's something that you do. It's not based on your emotion. You just mm-hmm. shake your leg. That's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that in if, if, a tr- if a question you ask or a moment happens that may trigger them, that if their behavior changes then, that that's something to watch for? I would say yes, but I would also say you want to also watch, like be observant. Um, I always tell people a good go people watch just to get the more you watch people observe their gestures, the better you get at reading body language. Right. Um, One thing that I love for attorneys is the behavior panel on YouTube. Um, You can subscribe to the channel, but it's for gentlemen who are also body language experts. And what they do is they pull like all of the police interrogation videos uh, that are public and then the public trials, you know, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. And what they do is they'll play, their videos are very long. You know, I've seen it where it's like six hours long sometimes. They play 10 minutes, they pause it, and then each person comments on what they think is going on with the other person's body language. So with the trial ones, like they just did one with the Alex Murdoch trial. and. They did it like right when people were sitting down before any questions, you know, it was like they they started to evaluate that, too. So I do think it's important to watch even before there's a change just to, again, observe right. and get a feel for that person. Hmm. Yeah. So they basically just break down 
videos and and talk about why well, they don't, yeah they only do court stuff court okay. and then like they did um but they'll pull the police interrogation videos that have to do with trials so like mm -hmm. for example they have one on um joan benet ramsey when they when the police interrogated the mother and then i think the father separately right. um so they evaluate that body language um i'm trying to think there's what a couple of other called? it's called the the, it's called the behavior panel and it's behavior. on youtube if you go to youtube and just type in behavior panel yeah. um you can find it there and subscribe to their channel but i like it for attorneys because that's all they do they just pull those kind of televised trials and i think there's just more content in it for you know that it, as it pertains to body language so right. uh it's pretty interesting and then i always make that as like a recommended reading or recommended resource you know just if attorneys want more information so i mean i you know again it, it's a life learning skill. I mean, even like I said, as myself as an expert, I, I got interested in body language back when I was a, a staffing industry executive, um, <laughs> where I had to hire people and put them into different jobs. And, and I had one instance where I really, my very first big client with KPMG, I, we brought, there was somebody that came into the office that they were like, hey, why don't you interview so-and-so for that job? And I was like, there's something about her. She wasn't acting right. And I'm like, I don't know, but it was such a big project and we needed a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And she had passed the background check and everything. So I was like, well, okay. Well, two weeks later, I was called into KPMG because she was, you know, uh, she was doing some things at the office that were, it was just really bad. They, you know, we had to let her go right away. But she was giving me body language cues now that I look back on it, like, you know, again, just things that she was doing, like she was fidgeting a lot in her chair. She was unbelievably nervous. She was asking specific questions about because she was really upset that she couldn't bring her cell phone in and she couldn't like even on her lunch hour, she couldn't even bring in her own laptop. And I didn't think much of it at the time because I thought, why would you even, you know, what difference does it make? Work on your stuff at home, you know, or go outside in the parking lot and make a call. Um, you just couldn't do it in their building. It was a security thing. And that's kind of what's centered around why she was let go. Um, so with me, I should have picked up on those body language cues because it would have saved me. We almost lost that account because of it, because it was such a bad thing um but it would have saved me a lot of aggravation and it would have saved both companies a lot of uh embarrassment at the end well, of the day that, that's interesting so even though at the time you hadn't obviously had the the expertise and the time spent on body mm -hmm. language but you still had that intuition mm -hmm. right that there's something going on here mm -hmm. and that's why i was I, one of the things i wanted to talk to you about was I, so much is conveyed without words and a lot of it is body language but a lot of it is also energy mm -hmm. right and energy conveys a message too whether and whether we know it or it's like somewhere deep in our brain we get it and mm -hmm. i think about like like dogs you know like animals right like mm -hmm. animals don't talk but they communicate and so you know like i i have a dog i just had one pass away not too long ago but they used to have like scuffles where nothing actually happens but you could just see them yeah looking at each other yeah and like one would get territorial over food or whatever and, mm -hmm. and i think about that a lot when i think about body language and about energy and the fact that she came in and without saying anything bad you had this vibe right mm -hmm. you just had this energy you're like i don't know and so i think there is a lot to that on top of the body language too 
And that's why I tell people your gut, trust your, go with your gut, your gut instinct. We have that for a reason. So if your gut is telling you something's not right here, that, you know, again, you're going to look at the cues more, look at, you know, right. what are they doing? What, you know, and again, what questions are setting them off? Just like you were talking about animals, animals have animal instinct. We have our gut instinct. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't want to, um, what do I want to say here? They don't want to actually follow, like, the, the, like everything's going so well, but they have a bad feeling in their stomach, you know, like, oh, well, this has gone so well so far, and but I'm having this feeling, and they kind of ignore that gut instinct. I have found when I have ignored my gut instinct every single time, I have regretted it dearly later on. So when you are getting those gut instincts, yeah, that's, it is part of your body language. It's part of our innate sensory system like hey there's something up you know something's wrong here you know um, investigate it further this is kind of like way off topic but it just reminds me of so like i got on an airplane with my wife one time and we sat down and like there's three seats in every airplane so there's a third row it was already taken and it was a guy and my wife just looked at me and she just had this like i don't know about this guy and you know me, I was like, oh, I'm sure he's fine. We talked with him and it was fine. And once the airplane landed, I, I was gonna go into like, oh, don't, you know, don't read into everything. Don't judge mm -hmm. a book by its cover, all that stuff. And as soon as we got off the airplane, he walked in front of us, he was met by four police officers who put him in handcuffs. And so oh, wow. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, well, there goes that whole thing. Cause apparently her gut intuition was like, yeah, there's something going on here. And clearly there was because he was, he got arrested. But wow. um, that's, I don't know if that's exactly the same thing, but it reminded me of that. But um, mm -hmm. so like we're talking about witnesses, jurors, people that you don't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you have the whole other side of things, which is the expert witness who's been trained to elicit whatever body language they want you to see them do. Right. Like they're the exact opposite where you're not catching them off guard with their behaviors. Well, they're acting very polished. Right. They're, they're polished because they're polished in regards to. So like um, if you have an expert witness on help me out here, what, what what's a good topic for expert witness? Like, well, I do personal injury. So like, oh, you yeah. know, a spine surgeon, right? Somebody that's been hired by the other side to say okay. whatever they need them to say or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. So they're an expert witness in regards to they're probably a doctor, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're, you know, giving their testimony in regards to they're an expert on that. But a lot of times, sometimes you'll have expert witnesses who are not, you know, they're not the best at, you know, they might be excellent at their craft, but they're not the best with communicating. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, they might, you know, again, they're not going to be really good about like hiding. There still might be some things to uncover there. You know, like I've seen expert testimony where sometimes people will um, go, they'll lean in like they're, mm -hmm. you know, like making a point, but then they kind of lean back also as well. Like when they're, they're questioned, like something they're not really want, like, well, you know, that's really not my area. But so it's kind of like they sort of back away. Mm -hmm. um, so just because they're an expert witness doesn't mean that they're, they may have testified several times, but it doesn't mean that they're that great at it. I mean, I kind of look at it this way too, Patrick, you got to think about like for a criminal attorney, there might be a guy who goes up before a judge several times a year because he's always in trouble. But, um, you know, so obviously he's really good at, you know, he kind of probably understands the way the court system works, but that doesn't mean that he's, you know, um, going to be good at body language or good at, you know, whatever. Um, it just means that he has some, you know, he's been in and out of the courtroom quite a bit. 
Um, so I don't think, you know, a lot of times with like an expert witness, I don't feel that they're always, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not some that probably have taken classes on body language, or maybe they feel more, um, you know, they know what to do, what not to do, but there's still going to be little things that people will give away. There's still um, something, there's yeah, still there's something you can pick up on. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's not as, as grand as, as someone who isn't as used to being, on the you know on the in the jury box or on this on the stand yeah um and so so switching gears then to, to clients because you and i talked you know prior to the to the podcast about what what i'm doing which is um basically helping attorneys understand trauma and mm -hmm. the clients that we have sustained that have sustained trauma come to us and we we are a helping profession essentially mm -hmm. and so when we're when a client comes into the office, a lot of times they they are in fight or flight just from the second that they walk in the door because one of the major symptoms of of, of trauma is um, the the need to be in control to prevent re-traumatization, right? To avoid to to feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, and and my my dad talks a lot about like being safe and feeling safe are two different things. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody walks in the door, they're immediately on edge, right? They're, they're hypervigilant. They want to know what's going on. And so then they sit down in your, in your, in your, your conference room or whatever it is. And, and they, you need to accomplish something with them, whatever that might be for the day. Right. Mm -hmm. What are, what are some body language kind of tells, so to speak, that you could give to lawyers are trying really hard to know when somebody's in that kind of elevated state, right? That elevated emotion where we got to get them down mm -hmm. here instead of up here in order to accomplish wherever we're accomplishing. What are some things that attorneys need to be looking for to go, okay, this, this is telling me, you know, we're, we're in an elevated state right now. So a couple of things I would say to you is one thing you want to watch out for is when people are, when they start to stroke their neck, this okay. is a pacifying move. Um, if you even somebody, if you do it now, like even if you did it, like I'm doing it right now, it's very relaxing. Yeah. And as somebody who actually has an anxiety disorder, I can certainly, yeah, you just want to just stroke, they're going to either start rubbing their throat or stroking yeah. it, right? And they might only do it one time um you know maybe just once but this is a pacifying uh hmm. movement okay okay so another thing that they may do is they may just completely shut down you know right. like people who are on the autism autism spectrum will do this they will when they get overwhelmed with verbal like questions or they can't they can't articulate what they need to say to you they completely shut down mm -hmm. they will not talk they will more than likely start to look down you know maybe they'll They'll start drawing on their paper, you know, um, mm -hmm. and not look at you at all. They'll completely break eye contact and they will just start looking, you know, looking down. Uh, they might start writing something. Um, another thing that you can watch for is, you know, in, with the arms crossing. But what they might do is they might cross their arms, but they're going to do it where their hands touch their actual the sides of their body. So their hips. So it's not going to be crossed like this. It's going to be more crossed. Maybe it's almost like a hold, like a self-hold. Yeah, like a self-holding. Yeah. You know, where there's, you know, again, pacifying. That's another thing they may do. Um, I do find everybody has different things that they will do to kind of pacify themselves. Mm -hmm. um, if they, if their anxiety level is rising, they might start doing some of the things just on the anxiety list. But this could also be for people who are 
Um, it's anxiety because they don't want to answer questions, you know, or they, they're kind of like, oh, gosh, I got to think of a lie really quick. But it, it, it's possible you might see the sweating. You might see the fidgeting in the seat. You might see um, the, uh, you know, pulling, you know, pulling at their, the back of the neck or scratching the back of their head or maybe even like kind of pulling at their hair a little bit. They may even start doing this. Sometimes women will do this, too. Um, but they're not. Yeah. They're not playing with their hair in a flirty, flirting nature, but they're actually, you'll find they're tugging at it, like pulling mm. down. Um, because again, and this sounds weird, but it's like, even if you start to do this, if you're in like a really high state of anxiety, pulling, it, it's like, it kind of helps to prevent a panic attack. Like I, the times I've gotten panic attacks and they're horrible, mm. um, you know, mine have gotten so bad where like to stop it, you have to, like, I'll have to grab a hold of something really hard um, like a, like a, uh, maybe a chair or a table leg yeah. and hold on to it, like grasping it because I feel like I'm going to pass out, which I'm not, but that's the feeling that I have. Right. So the, the tighter I have on that grip, the more I know I can feel it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not passing out. <laughs> so, you know, that might be something else that they do. They might grab like a, you know, maybe like doing this, like kind of twirling their pen or pencil around like this, maybe or grabbing the edge of the table, maybe. And even, yeah, and they might do that with their legs too, because again, you, if you have that feeling where you're going to, you know, your anxiety is rising where it could turn into a panic attack, you're yep. going to do some pacifying behavior. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like they say a lot, like my doctor said to me one time, the next time, if you ever have a panic attack again, run up to somebody and tell them, give me a bear hug. And I'm like, well, what if I'm out like in the airport or whatever? And she goes, I know it sounds crazy, but she said, same thing. If somebody gives somebody who is having a panic attack, a bear hug, like literally like, like almost like you're squeezing them to death. It helps to alleviate that stress where mm -hmm. the anxiety, it's like, it just doesn't have anywhere to go. It's almost like kind of crushing the blood cells almost. Yeah. And it makes the anxiety go down. Um, so they're going to do some pacifying. So I think this is probably going to be one thing you'll see more than anything. It's the rubbing of the neck or yeah. the strain, you know, doing this with a pencil or a pen or not talking at all will probably be another one and look breaking eye contact and looking down. And I think when that happens, the best thing you could say is say, look, I don't, you know, I don't know if you're kind of getting into an elevated state or if you're feeling your anxiety is rising. And if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, but could you just maybe shake your head up and down for yes or no? you know, to kind of give me an idea of we need to take a break. Right. You know, probably the best way I would say you could kind of go around that, um, you know, just to kind of help them through whatever situation that is. And I think that, I mean, those are, those are great. I can, you know, I can see those coming into play and you kind of see that okay, they're stroking their neck and mm -hmm. sometimes um, necks can get kind of uh, blotchy and that might mm -hmm. be nervous. Um, but I think about in depositions where you really are not in control of the conversation. You don't have that ability mm -hmm. to kind of say, hey, let's let's slow things down a little bit, mm -hmm. um, especially if it's your client. Right. Because you're mm -hmm. just sitting there while the other per the other attorney deposes them. Mm -hmm. That might be a good time if you look over and see any of those to say we need to take a break and then let them kind yeah. of get some get some like, composure on it. And just a couple of tips when you do go on break. I mean, again, these are some things I have personally done. It doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. But like when I'm noticing like my anxiety is getting elevated and I can't leave that scenario or situation for whatever reason, um, one thing that I will do is I'll take my hands and you could do this seated or standing up. And I do the same thing with my feet where you stretch them out, like stretching your fingers all the way out like yeah. that. 
and then you just like keep stretching like hold it for like maybe 10 seconds and then release and then do it again for 10 seconds what is that what is that it, it's kind of like a relaxation technique. It kind of helps to sort of bring down a little bit of, because think about it this way. If you're if you're nervous and scared, more than likely your hands are going to shake a little bit, you know? Um, you know, and I know like even with me, when my anxiety gets elevated, I do start to shake, you know? Um, it's like one of my first signs that, hey, you're getting ready to have a panic attack. Get out of here. Right. <laughs> um, and this is something that will help. I'll just take my fingers because it just, it does, it helps to kind of, I can feel my fingers extending. Mm -hmm. I can, I know I'm not passing out, you know, so I can just feel them extending. And I, you know, if I, if I feel like, oh, wow, I feel like I'm kind of losing you. It's like, you feel like you're losing control of your body and you are going to pass out, but you're not because yeah. it's a panic attack, but it helps to kind of make it not escalate because like for me, and again, I can't speak for anybody else, but mine typically starts with high, you know, heightened anxiety, uh, I start to shake and then my teeth will start to chatter and then my body actually, the rest of it will just start to shake like right. this, like literally mm -hmm. like that. And my legs, I, I have a very hard time walking cause it's like, I, then the, it's like, if it's a numbness feeling, like mm -hmm. I can't feel my legs and it'll, it'll usually last about three or four minutes and then it will pass as long as I'm calming myself. And this is one of the things that I'll do to help do that. And then if this isn't working again, I grab a pole or I grab, you know, um, a chair arm or something that, that's made of metal or wood. And I grab a hold of it as tight as I can and just grip around it and just wait till it passes, you know. Um, and it looks terrible when this happens in public. So I can tell you because people don't know. They think you're, you might be having a heart attack. Right. Um, so but those are some things that I've done to kind of help elevate it. But I think everybody, too, they might have different things they might want to try. But something you could try with your clients and have them do the same thing with their feet. Just extend their feet all the way like they're stretching their legs out. And it does kind of help to sort of calm, you know, calm the body a little bit. Um, a friend of mine had told me one time, she said, you should carry almonds with you. And I thought, that, what a weird thing to say. I said, why? I don't even like almonds. Why? And she goes, well, get any kind. But apparently there's something in almonds because, you know, when you when your anxiety level rises, so does your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And if you eat almonds, it's one of the few foods that you can eat where it helps to immediately take down your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So that might be, you know, a tip too there. Maybe just have some packs of almonds or whatever that you carry with you. Um, yeah. You know, so, and even, you know, with some of your clients, it might even be worth saying, hey, you know, I know you, you get, you know, elevated, you know, very quickly. What are some things I should watch out for? There's no harm in asking them that because you want to make sure that they're okay. But I can see where some people would feel uncomfortable saying that, you know. Um, well, I, I think going into what is going to be known as an adverse environment, mm -hmm. that would be a really good thing to ask your client. If you're comfortable enough with the client to do that is to mm -hmm. say, hey, and I'm very clear with my clients that are about to be deposed or go into a mediation. Look, this is an adverse situation, right? Mm -hmm. And the person on the other side asking the questions is not on our team. They're on the other mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. And and so in order for me to know that you're you're whether or not you are hitting a, an elevated state where we're not being effective any longer, right? Mm -hmm. What are some things I need to be looking out for? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean that would probably be a, a good thing to ask them so that you can watch and say, are they going into fight or flight? Are they you know, in the midst of being uh, reaching that 
you know, that parasympathetic, um, you know, uh, heightened alert state, I guess. And it's, and I find it's different for everyone. Like I said, you know, for me, I, I, you know, I kind of walked people through what happens with me, you know, but for somebody else that, you know, has that heightened anxiety, it might be something completely different where sure. they shut down, they don't say anything. And then two minutes later, they start you know, they get up and they're like, I can't take this any, and you know, and then they're running around in circles or, you know, everyone's different. Right. Every single one of us is different. So, so part of the, the trauma informed practice, uh, legal practice that, that, that we, we preach is just knowing that what we've talked about, that they're, you know, knowing that clients are already likely in a heightened state, just being in your office. Right. Mm -hmm is then we have to be just being aware of that changes how you approach that interaction, whether mm -hmm. it's on the phone or whether it's in person or whatever. Yeah. So when we're walking into that room, how do we control our body language to come in open, calming and say, and, and without coming in and, and increasing that, that already present heightened sense. Well, and this is going to sound so simplistic and so silly to a lot of people, but one of the first things I would say, and I actually talk about this in my class, it's smile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Be approachable. I, and like you said, and I think attorneys, they have the same thing doctors do. They, you know, doctors, sometimes people are intimidated just in general from a, you know, if they, if they're, especially like, let's say a networking function or, um, you know, maybe an after hours function somewhere, or maybe it's like a parent teacher conference and everybody's there and it's like, oh, that's so-and-so's dad. He's an attorney. The minute somebody brings it up, you're an attorney, you're a doctor because doctors get the same thing too. There's an automatic, um, not that you all are doing anything wrong by any means. That's not it. It's just sometimes people, it's like, oh, that's an attorney, you know, because, you know, they automatically think, oh, gosh, wow, that's somebody who can really make things happen. You know, same thing with a doctor. That's somebody who saves people's lives. So sometimes people in their own mind will kind of uh, make it like, oh, gosh, I, I want to go up and talk to that guy, but he's an attorney. I'm a little afraid to. And if you're not smiling, if that's just not something that you normally do, um, it, it makes it a little bit more intimidated. And then if you couple on top of that, if it's somebody who does have a problem and they're like, oh, you know, I, I really, I need to get this problem solved. But, and there, there's already some fear, anxiety, embarrassment around it. And I'm sure you've heard that from your own clients that's already there that they have to overcome. So I just find simplistically, honestly, walking in, hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm so sorry you've been going through so much you know, and just smiling, you know, and not that you have to be like a, you know, clown smiling, nothing yeah. like that, but just a general nice smile and, and just, you know, to be approachable. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know if it's the right word, but like disarming, you know, mm -hmm. like all the stigma and the kind of the social norms or whatever the pre mm -hmm. preconceptions of attorneys are. I, well, I'll tell smile, you. Maybe. Even with what I do now, because like I said, I am predominantly, this is what I, I've, I've gotten so busy with what I do and I'm in other states now that I don't even really apply to speak in, in different industries anymore. And a colleague of mine, who's also a speaker, he goes, I was like, he said, Carrie, I heard, you know, what you're doing. I think it's great. And, but he said, I got to ask you, he said, aren't, aren't attorneys hard to work with? And I said, actually, I said, you know, I said, well, just out of curiosity, why would you say, he goes, well, you know, they're just, they're really, you know, they're already, they, they just know so much and they're probably like, you know, 
hard to approach and they probably don't have any sense. And I'm like, actually, I said, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. They are open to learning. They're, they've got great senses of humor. You have to be, I think, and, you know, to be an attorney, you gotta be. Um, I said, they're actually, they're, they're in the business of helping people. So they're mm -hmm. probably some of the most, I said, I'm sure there's one or two out there that aren't, you know, that aren't as uh, empathetic as you would think they need to be, but they actually, once you get to know them, they're, they're great people. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's a great industry to be in. Um, you know, I said, it's very high stress for them clearly. And I said, I know, I knew a lot of attorneys prior to, to doing all of this, but mm -hmm. I just, I said, it's what you're, you know, like you said, it's that stigma, like, oh, it's the attorney. He never smiles. And if he does, he's probably going to lose the case because he's not a tiger in court. And it's like, no, it's, right. it's not like that at all. It's, it's the exact opposite, but you're right. I think there's already, there's that, when you have that, um, quote unquote stigma there. And then they're already in a heightened state and they're already, you know, they're already going to be nervous. It's just like doctors, again, same thing. I had, um, I was in a car wreck, um, many, many years ago and I had to go to a neurologist and the, the doctor that, and I actually, I had to, I, I, you know, I, it was a terrible experience, but I'm glad I went through it because it was a learning experience because I had to, I had to sue the insurance company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt, and I remember the lady who took my case, she was so great. And she basically, cause I told her, I said, I feel so bad that I'm doing this. So I feel like I'm a bad, and she goes, no, don't. This is, unfortunately, this is how it works sometimes. Don't worry about it. We're gonna take good care of you. But the opposing part, they wanted me to go see, they named off this guy who was a neurologist and I had asked somebody about it. And they were like, they were like, look, if you want to see a neurologist, they gave me the name and number. There was a guy at the time, he was the number one neurologist in Jacksonville, Manly Kilgore. Uh, and I think he was like the top five in Florida. I think he's retired by now, but because this was a long time ago and he was already of advanced age, but he, they said, if he, he's the best, nobody's going to buck his opinion, go to him. And even with him, just knowing that, that, oh, well, this is the number one neurologist in Jacksonville and he's like the top. And of course, this guy, when he came in, I'll never forget this. This guy was six foot three, I think really tall, big guy. And he talked with a really um, booming voice. My name is Dr. Kilgore. Take off your shoes and get up on the table, please. And like, just like that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I got up on the table. It was like, I didn't want to do anything wrong because I was afraid he was going to yell at me. But it turned out, you know, he wound up, he had a, uh, a nerve test ordered for me where they, um, I don't know what they call it, but they put the pieces of tape on the, on the foot and they take this, it looks like a cattle prod. They shock you with it several yeah. times. And I got so freaked out about it and he came in the room and I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to throw me out of the office. This is going to be bad. And he goes, I'm going to order some Xanax for you. Come back in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, but he did, he had a good, you know, I mean, overall, I mean, he was a really good doctor, but he had like very little bedside manner, I have to say, yeah. but a great doctor, but he was very, you know, he told me, you're not a good candidate for surgery. He said, it's a waste of time. And he said, when you get older, you're probably going to want to move to a drier climate. And he said, you just need to control the stress in your life. He said, don't build a house, buy one that's already built. Um, don't plan a wedding elope you know, things like that, you know, and that's exactly how he was talking to me. So it's just really, you know, again, I think doctors get the same thing attorneys do. I think it's kind of a bum rap, really, you know, I'm like, you know, honestly, I'm like, most of the attorneys I talk to are so great to talk to. They're pleasant. They, 
you know, and again, they, they're, they're funny, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, overall, I mean, it's been exactly the opposite of what I think most people think mm -hmm. you all are really like. So I think there is a little bit of that stigma there that people have to overcome. And, but I find just smiling, just smile at them and, and it's going to melt all that away. And eye contact. I mean, yeah, direct eye contact. And, um, you know, and I think just open body language, you're listening, you know, you're engaged. So I always tell people shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe right. when you're in person or even on Zoom. Um, you know, it shows that you're engaged in that conversation with them um, and not like even with their voice, just just like you're doing right now. You're letting me talk and just mm -hmm. listening and taking notes. And, you know, again, just being, um, you know, very transparent that you're you're listening to them. You know, they need to be heard and and they are listening so that's I think, a good thing too yeah i mean it's not really body language but i think listening is it sounds so simple but it's hard to listen you know if you're not in a mindset to listen it's hard to listen so if you're in a million different places and you haven't kind of set your intentions for that meeting mm -hmm. say i'm going to be here and present mm -hmm. for this meeting mm -hmm. um it's really hard to fake that right it is. And, and clients can see right through it and they can there, hear it on the phone too for yeah. consultations they can hear it on the phone yeah so i know it's not really body language but that's like the easiest thing to do would just to say let's just set everything else aside and just be there with that person mm -hmm. and uh, and listen yeah so um i want to talk about colors because i know you have an entire cle and that's what you're like one of the things you really specialize in is color selection mm -hmm. um Tell tell me that. Tell me about that. What what is what is it about colors that elicits feelings, emotions, without people probably? So I would assume subconsciously, right? It is, and I would say too with the CLE, I I couldn't. Florida and Texas both kicked it out. They were like, "This is a great class," but it it didn't. They didn't feel like it could get accreditation. So okay. I was like, ah. "But I still offer it. It's a free class that I do for the attorneys." Absolutely. So, um, but it's I just want to Yeah, it's invaluable to know whether you get CLE credits or you know whatever. But it's so, invaluable to know that, or at least have that knowledge. What what is it? What is it about colors? So color is in colors an, an interesting element that again things people don't think about. You know, yeah. so like even for you know for a guy, you know, you have on your shirt. You know, I don't. You know, you've got on a suit, but you know you don't have your jacket on, but you've got your shirt. And then like if you were wearing, it looks like you were wearing a tie earlier. Um, so those are all comprised of colors that, you know, it's opportunities, it's your palette, it's a blank slate for you, it's a palette, so you can put those different colors together and utilize them. So like what we were just talking about, you know, when you have a client who could potentially be in that fight or flight mode and their anxiety is rising, yeah. what are some things you can do to calm? Well, another thing is you can utilize color. Uh, for example, pink. Pink is a very calm and soothing color. I tell people, if you are, if you've got a client who is really, maybe it's mediation, or like you said, there's a deposition that has to be given, they're really nervous, it's not going to do them any good to wear pink, because they can't see it, but they can see it on you. Mm -hmm. So where would be an opportunity for Patrick to wear pink? Well, you could get like a really light pink shirt, you know, shirt underneath mm -hmm. your jacket, or have a tie that has some pink in it. And and any color, if you do blue, green, purple, the lighter you go with the hue, so a lighter shade, uh, in other words, a lighter shade of like a pale pink or a pale uh, pale purple, pale green, 
will also have more of a calming effect. But the number one color in the spectrum for calming effects is pink. Hmm. Not bright pink, it's just you know pink or pastel pink or regular pink. Um, I wouldn't go any darker than like a Pepto-Bismol pink. <laughs> um, you know, like the Pepto-Bismol bottle. Yeah. No flamingo um, pink. Exactly, Super. exactly. Because then that gets into more of the red, which could you know get them to be more excitable. Right. Um, I can imagine you know, red would be a color that. Well, red is an exciting color in a good way. Um, you know, obviously, like for networking, I tell people, you know, if you're going out to network, red's a good color to wear. Now, obviously, I'm not saying going out and buying a red suit. You want to use accent, you know, accent yeah. pieces like the shirt, the, the tie. Yeah. Um, you know, your handkerchief or if you have like a pocket, uh, you know, a little pocket handkerchief that you're wearing, that those are places you can add a little pop of color that help. Um, but I would say pink would be the most calming. Um, yellow is something that I tell people be very, very cautious with yellow. Yellow is actually can really trigger our flight or flight mode and can actually make people go over to more of an aggravated, angry, um, you know, it's it's a caution. It, it, it institutes our fight or flight mode. But like caution signs are yellow for a reason, because we was, want people to stop and go, what am I supposed to be cautious about? And then when they find out about it. Everything yeah. with the warning is yellow. So Pretty yeah, much. yeah. But the more intensified yellow is, the angrier somebody will get. So like if you have to fire somebody at the office, don't wear yellow because there's going to be an argument that will ensue. You know, um, they're already going to be angry. It, it further in, infiltrates that. What's interesting is, and I haven't written the, the blog post yet, but I'll share it with you. The Alex Murdoch trial. Did you Were you able to personally watch any of that at all? I, I or? I yeah. didn't, but I heard a lot about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, on the day of the closing argument that the defense was doing their closing argument, mm -hmm. um, they had him dressed appropriately. Uh, Alex Murdoch, you know, they had him in brown. Brown is a good approachable color. Um, I wear that a lot when I go to speak in person because it makes you more, you know, believe it or not, I get that as a speaker where people don't want to come up and ask me questions. Um, but I find wearing brown, I might mix it with teal. It's more of an approachable, um, I'm here to help you type color. Mm -hmm. So that was whoever picked those colors for him did a, a good job. However, and you could see the jury saw what we saw on TV. So there was someone who was sitting behind him when the defense attorney was, I don't know who it was, but he was doing his closing argument. This guy had on a yellow, like a light yellow suit, darker yellow shirt. And then like very intense yellow and black in the in their tie. Mm. So when you were watching the closing argument, even like I said, if you, I was sitting in the jury box, my eye is no longer on that attorney talking. It's no longer on Alex. It's on the guy in back of him. Mm. So if I'm already sitting on the fence, like, well, I don't know how, how I want this to go. You know, I, I, I feel like there's so much conflicting information here and I'm having to sit and look at that guy. You know, again, if I'm already like, if I felt like, hey, he's already guilty, you know, if you have a juror that already feels that way and is looking at that, that yellow is going to intensify how he feels. Hmm. So I don't know if that was done. Like I said, if that was like I was telling my mother at the time, I said, if that was done on purpose, like if that was something from the prosecution side that did that. Yeah. Bravo. That, yeah. that was smart because they came back and they deliberated what they said record time, three hours. Mm hmm. And I can almost guarantee that yellow played some little tiny part in that. 
Well, and subliminal, because so, I assume this is all subliminal in our, our heads, but if you're staring at a defense attorney mm-hmm. and you see yellow in the back, mm-hmm. you know, all it kind of says subliminally is caution, right? Like caution, and then you caution, 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 and everything he's saying, you're thinking caution. Um, yeah, it would, that would be pretty masterful use of color if that was. But if you, yeah, and if you go, you can go back and look at it. Um, when, yeah. and I think if you type in like defense argument, you'll see who I'm talking. And again, I don't know who he is. Sure. Um, I've seen him multiple times. He was in the courtroom, but I was like, wow. I was like, cause I said, cause I even said to my mother, I said, where does your eye go when you look at that screen? And she goes, that guy in the back. And I said, yeah, I mm. said, so that was either a faux pas on the defenses, you know, defense side or yeah. Yeah. yeah, Or Mm -hmm. it was like, I said something that the prosecution did uh, knowingly or unknowingly, I don't know, but that's, that is the power of color. I mean, logistically, Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, what about jury selection? What should I wear? Blue is a good, you want to wear the right colors for your skin tone. That's why I always tell people, if you're going to do color, get a color analysis. You've got to know what season you are because there's so many different shades and variations of blue, you know, that you don't want to wear like a navy blue. If you're more of a winter, you need to be wearing, um, you know, like a brighter blue because that's going to come out better on you. Um, but I always tell people, if you have to do jury selection, wear some wear a blue that looks good on you, but start out with a lighter variation because you're building up trust. Blue is a trust color mm-hmm. and you're going to build up trust. So wear lighter shades of blue as the trial progresses and you need to darken it. Hmm. So, and there's, there's different ways you can do that. So I, cause a lot of people ask me, they're like, well, I can't wear a light blue suit. To, and I'm like, well, I'm not saying you should, but you, you know, the shirt that you're wearing underneath your tie, those are really more things that can portray color better anyway. You know, you got to look at your suit as your palette, so to speak, and you're putting the colors on top of that. So again, it, it all kind of works in conjunction with your, Again, color and body language, they're tools. That's all they are. They're tools that can help you get to where you need to be for that case, or they can work against you, you know? Well, yeah, I think body language, if you said to people like, well, he had negative body language, I think that would be something everybody can resonate with. Everyone mm-hmm. kind of understands that. Maybe they don't understand the intricacies of it. Mm-hmm. They at least understand what that means. But like, if you say like, yeah, the color scheme was completely off for that situation, people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And if people just don't know, well, I, didn't, I didn't know until you could talk to you. Well, and, color, honestly, there. I wish there was more, um, more research done. I wish there was more of a, um, you know, like even with body language, there really isn't that much other than psychology and like the communication realm. I mean, myself personally, I'm always looking at tapes, you know, things that have been like courtroom settings. Like how yeah. can I better help these attorneys with what I'm working on next, what would be specific to them? So even like going and sitting in the courtroom, like, you know, when I'm allowed to do it, you know, just as an observer, just to observe people. But I also try to also observe with color because it's one of those areas of, I think of science that's not developed. It's Mm -hmm. not, but it it carries a lot of weight. I don't think people want to admit it, but it does. It carries an, an awful lot of weight. Um, and it's something that can be used in conjunction with what you're doing. I mean, really, it's just, like I said, they use color in advertising, you know, all the time. Um, there's a reason for that. And, you know, there's also a reason why, like you said, caution signs are yellow. Um, you know, just like the, the color pink, even though it's very soothing, like the history of, of colors too, how pink was actually created 
I think it was back in the Roman days is when this was going on, but there was a certain type of bug that they would kill. And if the bugs were sitting there for a long time, their bodies would start to decompose, but they would turn into like the insides would turn into kind of like a dust almost mm. like kind of like eyeshadow, like women's eyeshadow. But the insides of this particular bug was a beautiful shade of pink. Hmm. So that's kind of where it came from. That's morbid and gross, but that's where, you know, where it first yeah. originated. Could come from um, somewhere. Yeah. So um, going back to, you know, like kind of trying to be as informed and as aware of the fact that somebody may be coming in struggling and continuing to struggle even in your office. What are some things like if color conveys a message, what is a message or good color to convey to impart peace and calm in your office, in your conference room, where you meet with your clients? What, what color should people be looking for? For room for room fair, I, I do I like to stick with blue, but try to go with a lighter shade. Or if you can try to get like, for example, like a bookcase that would be painted in a lighter blue. The more the lighter you go with that, it's going to be more calming for them. Um, you know, you don't want to paint your, you know, pink is obviously a good color, but I would say do like if you can do some pink accents, even you don't have to go with a whole room full of blue, but try to put like some accent pieces like a vase, a picture that has lighter shades. So lighter shades of blue, lighter shades of green, lighter shades of pink, um, like an ocean, like a teal color is very calming for people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I found some vases online the other day. They're they're glass, but they're like a teal color. And I thought that is so tranquil and so calming, um, you know, to have in there. Another thing that you could get too is uh, some people have those little Zen things that you can have on your desk where you can, um, it's like sand in, in the box that you can rake. Yeah, like, a, like a, a rock thing. Yeah, or even like a water, uh, like a little water fountain thing that that comes down on. That's also very soothing and calming. Mm. Um, if you have like a, you know, not everybody has music piped into their rooms, but if you could get like some pan flute music, that's another thing that kind of helps calm people a little bit. You can always turn it off when you come in there. However, I would suggest something like that. Um, but have some lighter colors in your room. Um, you know, whether that's pink or pale green or pale blue or even, you know, pale yellow, but very, very, very pale, you know, just like, I try to stay from yellow, stay away from yellow altogether. But if you do want to go with yellow, go with a real pale one, very pale yellow um, would be the best colors that I would say go with to kind of help create that calm and serene. But if you choose to go with blue, try to go, you know, again, have like some darker blue pieces and mix it in with some of the lighter blue as well. Um, and like I said, some of the other things that would be good for that too, uh, the rock waterfall thing, or, or even just a, a waterfall, something that has some calming music. Um, even YouTube has like little meditations that you can download. Mm -hmm. um, like if you type in like healing meditation or calming meditation, and they're not like an hour long, some of these are eight, nine hours long that you can actually just, you know, put on your iPad and just let it play have on in the background yeah yeah i use it and it's the same thing with those meditations a lot of people think oh those don't work i you know i've had a terrible sinus infection for about a week now and it's finally starting to go away but at night i'm playing it there's an actual there's a meditation for everything but it's a sinus meditation music mix and i'll listen to it and i actually like i can feel the the pressure mm. 
were leaving in my face. So there's there's some there's some method to the madness there with all oh, of it. I, so. I definitely think so. And I think <laughs> we, you know, part of part of having an being a helping profession and inviting people to come and have us help them is to make sure that when they get here, we don't have, you know, I think bright red walls and you know, yeah. Uh, scary pictures on the, you know, of like the courtroom and I, the things that I think are stereotypical lawyer things, right? Yeah. Old, yeah. dark leather rooms, you know, like that seems yeah. to be totally contrary to what makes people feel calm. Mm -hmm. And especially when a, when a client has gone through something, they don't want to come in and get, get revved up for no reason. And so that, I think there's definitely a method to the madness. Mm -hmm. 100%. Another thought too, if people feel comfortable with it, you could invest in a chase lounge, which is kind of like, like they have like at the doctor's office, like when you go in to talk to a psychologist yep. or a hypnotherapist yep. and having just a chase lounge, like maybe in the corner where if they do feel like they're getting overwhelmed or whatever, just let them, you know, where they can lay down. And um, those chairs are very relaxing. Um, mm -hmm. So that's another thing that could, you know, potentially, but again, Go with lighter colors if you if you get one of those you know like maybe a light gray or uh, again it seems out of out of place at, a, at an attorney's office well, but it might catch them off guard like wow i always thought <laughs> and, leave now <laughs> i always thought that it would be fun and kind of interesting to have different like everyone has the conference room right with the big mm -hmm. giant table and then the chairs mm -hmm. and then sometimes you have a second one that's like another one with a big giant a big giant table and chairs so I make one of those like a coffee table and couches or something and just so that if it depending on the circumstance of why you're meeting with that person obviously if you're going to have your deposition taken no one's going to sit around a coffee table you go to the conference room but mm -hmm. to have a room that's like a little more informal a little more inviting than your, your standard um you know lawyer like conference zen room. room yeah just almost like a, a yeah zen exactly room. i mean this is the lawyer's zen let's get a zen room but yeah. i think uh some people do like the pageantry of the law firm so you got to kind of pick your pick pick your battles with who you're who you're meeting with i guess some people are like yeah. a zen room i hired a lawyer and i need a you know mm -hmm. a conference room and but well um Carrie, where can where can people find you? Like, do your website? Where can people find these videos to watch and learn more about what what it is that you, you know? You, well, they can go to um, my my CLE site, which is uh, it's kind of a long website, so maybe if we can put it in the notes or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's just CarrieHeatSpeaker.WildApricot.org. Okay. <laughs> Real uh, long. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll put the description if I can put the the link in the description. I certainly will. Um, cause I think what you're doing is really on top of being really cool. I think it is really helpful. Um, and something that is attacking, um, kind of our preconceptions of, of how to convey a message, not only how we act, um, but also how we look, mm -hmm. what we wear. Um, and if you can get that, get an edge on the, on, on your opposing counsel at trial, or you can make your client feel a little just like even subliminally a little more comfortable with what you're doing. I think it's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really happy that you came on. Is there anything that we miss anything? I think we covered the gamut. Tonight. Covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, I hope, you know, hope you, you, you stay in touch and, and we can, of you course. can have you back on. I would um, be honored. Yes. I would love that. Awesome. Well, we, we really appreciate it and uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you.